Hey folks, Armin Hammer here, and today we're gonna to be talking about the 2019 CrossFit Games in review. Just pretend that there's like a cool like motion graphic thing that happened when I did that. So we're gonna talk about a bunch of different aspects of the CrossFit Games, from the programming to the cut schedule to the spectator experience, both in person and off of the world feed. And we're also gonna maybe look at, you know, lessons learned that, that HQ can learn from what was a wacky transitional season in the 2019 CrossFit Games season. And the 2020 CrossFit Games season is right around the corner. It's less than two months away. So now, now is the time for us to do that. But before we get into that, two things very quick. First off, Merch is now available again at armandhammer.tv. I did a pre-sale thing in the middle of July. That was really, really cool. It went off without a hitch, in my opinion. I got a lot of support from it. I can't thank you guys enough for that because that helped pay for my trip to Madison to cover the CrossFit Games, which I hope you guys enjoyed that coverage. That was a lot of fun to do. And the most common thing that I heard was, when are you gonna bring this stuff back and why don't we have ladies' tanks? And the answer to that question, Number one is it's back now, so you can go to armandhammer.tv and just pick up some cool stuff right now. And number two is ladies tanks are available. Check it out. I've got one right here. Sneaky fit ladies tank. Does that even show? Is that obvious? There you go. You can see it. You know what I'm talking about. But it also has a bunch of your old favorites. The BRP dad cap. This guy? That's this guy. Including a sneaky fit shaker ice shaker thing. It keeps your liquids cool. It's really nice. It's 135 degrees in Austin, Texas right now. That's really cool. And a brand new color of the BRP shirt. Again, this guy. That's that guy. It's cool, right? Anyway, folks, the second thing is a whole new different way of supporting Iron Hammer TV, supporting me, supporting the channel, but that's going to require a little bit more explanation. I'm going to do that at the end of this video. Let's talk about the 2019 CrossFit Games. We've talked a lot about the 2019 CrossFit Games as a transitional year. I, I, we were right there when the news broke and regionals went away and sanctionals took their place. We were right there to kind of contextualize what was going on, maybe look at some of the potential pitfalls and why maybe this entire new seasonal format could be promising as a positive change. And I was right there to help sort of decipher all the strange new parts of the rule book which came out after the entire season had already kicked off like well after the entire season had kicked off we'd already seen some sanctionals happen before we saw the rule book the open took place after five sanctionals had already completed last year this year is going to be different this year the open kicks off the season in october we have sanctionals running all the way from november to july and hopefully the number one lesson, the first lesson that I think CrossFit should take away from the 2019 season is that while it was kind of sort of forgivable that we didn't get a rule book early in the season last year, considering how fluid so many of the things that was going on with the format actually were. I mean, certain things were just kind of changed here and there, even throughout the season. So not having a formalized rule book at the very beginning of the season was kind of forgivable. This year, there really is not that excuse. So I've, I've been reaching out to HQ to see sort of what their plan is in terms of scheduling on the rule book. And hopefully it seems like the 2020 rule book is gonna be coming out before the open kicks off, which would be, duh, like acceptable and probably necessary. Like at this point, we just really need to know like specifically how many open spots are gonna be available for 
anyone who's competing in the open, right? Is it just national champions or is there still a top 20 worldwide or is it a different number of the worldwide leaderboard? And I think that's important for a whole mess of reasons from sanctional event organizers needing to know whether they have to accommodate more spots or whether you know their event is actually even gonna attract a lot of big name athletes. These are all really big questions. That's the first lesson that I think CrossFit needs to learn is that where last year the rule book being late was okay, ish and kind of forgivable this year the rule book needs to be on time it needs to happen before the open kicks off so that athletes know where they're going to be competing over the season it's a long season they've got a lot of time they've got a big year to plan ahead of them and they need to have that framework before they can do that seasonal changes aside one of the biggest things that we saw happen at the crossfit games in terms of a format change was because there were so many more qualified athletes, we're talking about 150 on the men's side, about 130, 135 on the women's side, they had to find a way of dealing with that. And what we saw them execute was a cut schedule, a vicious elimination round of workouts, essentially through the first half of the weekend. And that's actually exactly how it broke out. The first six of 12 scored events were all elimination events. The last six of 12 scored events were sort of the top 10 battling out for the number one, number two, number three spots. And there were some positives and some negatives to this. Now, the cut schedule itself, going down to 75, then 50, then 40, then 30, 20, and finally 10, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I, I think that a, a, a brutal cut actually adds a lot of excitement to the competition from a spectator standpoint, from a storytelling standpoint. However, I think the biggest thing that can be resolved is actually kind of sort of on its way to being resolved because I spoke about this earlier this week. I heard from Greg Glassman and I talked about how he's gonna change the first cut of the games. Instead of it being off of one event, every athlete that qualifies is gonna do three events. They're gonna be classic CrossFit-y workouts. They're all gonna be combined for one accumulative time score and that score is what's gonna be used for the first cut. So really you're getting more data out of all of the CrossFitters who are showing up for the CrossFit games. But it also, if they follow the schedule of the previous year, it also pushes back the final cut, the cut from 20 to 10 to Saturday night. And I think that's an important change to make. And the reason why I think that's an important change to make is for a few reasons. Uh, mainly, one, it gives you more data to get, tell the difference between 20 and 10, and two, it gives you a much more exciting flow to the weekend. One of the biggest pitfalls that we saw this year was because the cut from 20 to 10 took place on Saturday morning after a sprint event, there really wasn't an ability for the, the broadcasters, for the media, for the athletes, for the spectators to latch onto the story that was getting from 20 to 10. And there already is a sort of native story built in there because if you make it into the top 20, that's where the money is, right? One through 20 is where you get paid. So you already have this initial storyline of 
who's gonna make it into the money? And to me, I was expecting the CrossFit Games to kind of cut to 20 before the weekend. So you get to 20 by Friday night, Saturday morning starts up again, you have your top 20 competing. Congratulations, all of you guys are making some money. You're getting paid for being here, that's awesome. And now we have all day Saturday to figure out who gets to the top 10. And that to me would have been a really good solution because one, it lets the people in the top 20 battle it out for you know, that top 10 spot to make it past the second cut. It lets them battle it out to make a little bit more money. You know, jumping up a few spots could be several thousand dollars difference. And secondarily, the data necessary to tell the difference between 10th and 20th place is a, a, a much greater demand than just one event between that group. And the reason behind that is very simple. There isn't that big of a difference between 10th place and 20th place at the CrossFit Games. And we're talking about the best CrossFitters in the world at this point. We're talking about the best athletes competing in these events. And so that delta is really, really tiny and more data gives you a much more accurate scalpel with which to make that cut to 10. So if I was going to change one thing about the 2019 CrossFit Games cut schedule, it would simply be keep the top 20 through all of Saturday. And really that adds a lot of value overall to the entire event. Like I said before, it gives you that storyline of who's gonna make the top 20 and make it into the money. That's a really big deal. It also gives you more data. It gives you a few events that just the top 20 are competing in in order to tell the difference between who's 10th and who's 11th, which is again, a very, very small difference. And lastly, it gives you an opportunity to create a dramatic moment on Saturday night where all the athletes get brought out. Here's your top 20. We've done all these events and now we're gonna announce here are the top 10 best crossfitters in the world. They're gonna move on to Sunday and Sunday is going to be a fantastic day full of the wildest CrossFit workouts you've ever seen. The games are gonna go you know, through the roof in terms of excitement, all the spectators cheer, and then we all move on to the final day. Now, combined with the cut schedule, we also saw a change in the scoring at the 2019 CrossFit Games. Let's talk about that. The previous, whatever, five or so years of the CrossFit Games, the scoring has been based on a sliding scale from 100 to zero points, entirely functioning around a field of 40 competitors, which was the maximum amount of competitors that would make it to the CrossFit Games through the old regionals format. And that was very strictly controlled. They knew that they weren't gonna get more than 40. Usually it was somewhere between 33 and 38 athletes. And now with way, way more athletes showing up in the beginning and way fewer athletes competing at the very end, they needed to find a way to adjust that scoring scale. And one of the hallmark features of the previous scoring scale was this idea of you get rewarded for winning, right? It pays to be a winner, which is an old school Navy SEAL mindset. Dave Castro is a Navy SEAL. That makes complete sense that that is gonna be a part of the scoring scale. And what that resulted in was runaway blowout victories from Matt Fraser for the past like three years, right? And that was exciting to watch a little bit, but he won so many events that being able to accrue all those points at the top basically made the last-ish event on Sunday, maybe the last two events on Sunday, essentially a wash. He, he just had to hit the minimum and he was good to go. Now, 
that's a whole nother factor. And Matt Fraser is dominant. He's the champion for a reason. He is the best CrossFitter who's basically ever lived. He's the best CrossFitter who's competing right now. Like there, all these things, there's no question about these things. However, when they adjusted the sliding scale of the scoring, they had to adjust it for a field that was 75, and then it was 50, then 40, then 30, then 20, then finally 10. And the solution they came up with was to even out the deltas between the spots. So really there wasn't that big of a difference versus the points you would gain or lose comparatively if you were first versus third or like 15th versus 17th. The end result of these changes, I think was actually something that no one could see coming, which was Matt Fraser won first place in six out of the 12 scored events at the CrossFit Games, but only had a margin of victory that was like 35 points. Now the exact opposite happened on the women's side. T. Claire Toomey won by nearly 200 points, which is one of the largest margins for victory in the history of the CrossFit Games, especially considering the modern CrossFit Games where it's been the most competitive and points have been the hardest to come by. Now, that type of effect on the scoring where it kind of flipped and the women's side became a blowout and the men's side became this tight race, that's a matter of a lot of different factors coming into play. And one of those factors was part of the cuts. You know, you kind of lost some of the athletes that could be contending for those podium spots or could be putting themselves between, you know, someone who beats Matt Fraser and Matt Fraser. So then there's like, instead of three spots between them, there's 13 spots between them. You know, you lose some of that because of how small the field is. But another part of that was that the final scoring was dropped by 10 points. So first place gets 100, second place gets 90, third place gets 80, so on and so forth until last place gets only 10 points. And what this did was it made really big swings possible as long as there were really big swings. And again, I think this is one of those things where we just couldn't really foresee the fact that the top 10 wasn't going to include the field necessary to, you know, take down or beat an athlete like Matt Fraser. And I'm not sure what the solution is here. There, there's been some sort of discussion about like clearing the points field uh, going into the Saturday, Sunday. So just the top 20 and the top 10 sort of get their own field of play. There's been another uh, thought about resetting the scores after each cut to only include the, in, the athletes that have made it through so that you're not worrying about the points based off of who was cut previously. These are all just kind of, you know, mathematical, magical solutions that I don't know how to implement or test. But if one of you guys wants to play around with some of the numbers, please feel free, let me know. I'd, I'd love to see what that looks like. Now we can't talk about the cut schedule or the scoring without talking about the programming. And I was incredibly excited about what the potential programming of the 2019 CrossFit Games could look like because in years past, Dave Castro has been very creative and very effective at coming up with CrossFit Games events. I mean, nearly all of them have been really, really fun to watch and really, really great as tests of the athletes. Not all of them, but nearly all of them. I mean, for example, 2018 had probably my favorite CrossFit Games event ever, which was Chaos. I mean, you're talking about 
40 athletes on the floor, no one knows what they're doing, they don't know the workout, they don't know the movements, they don't know the reps they're doing. The judges just sort of tell them, you're doing this now, I'll tell you when you have five reps left and then you move on to the next thing, right? That was an incredibly exciting event to watch. It must have been an exciting event to compete in. I think a lot of athletes talk about how that was one of their favorite events to do because you just kind of have to feel it out and see how it's going. And this year, I was honestly a bit let down. I didn't feel the programming was that level of creativity that we had seen in the past. Now, was it an effective test? Yeah, I mean, the best CrossFitters won, but that's not a great argument either because the best CrossFitters, by definition, are gonna win no matter what, as long as the workouts are CrossFit, right? So. I think it really does have a, a fine line that they have to walk here. And the, the point of the weekend that I was most disappointed in was what happened after we got to the top 10. Because if you're looking at an event like Chaos, Chaos is very exciting. It's new. It's a crazy, strange format that you cannot recreate anywhere else except for on the field of the CrossFit Games. And Castro was able to pull that off with 40 athletes competing. And the idea was potentially like, hey, when you get to 10, just imagine what we can do. That's gonna be such a crazy fun experience. I mean, with 10 competitors, you could potentially, in like a full day of competition, you could potentially do like seven scored events. That's not at all what happened. Instead, we got some like, you know, relatively exciting events. The clean event on Saturday night was fun to watch. It was it was a little boring on the lead up, but once it got down to the final two competitors, it actually got really fun to watch. The, you know, pegboard and double under and split workout was cool. That was kind of like a classic CrossFit Games-ish style workout, very grip intensive. Pretty cool to watch, not a lot of movement there. Like once you kind of set your pace, there really wasn't gonna be a lot of moving, jockeying back and forth for positioning there outside of like some no reps. And even that for Noah didn't make any difference. He got no rep on like his last pegboard climb and still finished second place, which means he didn't lose any spots. But either way, the big disappointment to me was Sunday. Sunday, we had the top 10 CrossFitters at the CrossFit Games. They had made their way through the sort of trials and tribulations that were the elimination cuts. And then we kick off Sunday with yet another swim paddle event. And that is about as boring as it could possibly get at the CrossFit Games. And I, I get it, we're trying to test, you know, broad and general fitness. You need to include all these different types of things. Swimming has been a classic CrossFit Games style event, open water swimming specifically. But can I just make a suggestion? Can I just say that perhaps maybe another combination of swimming and another monostructural event we don't need to see that anymore. We could just see like literally anything else happen with swimming. You can do swimming and literally anything else. I mean, for example, the 2014 CrossFit Games had swimming, which was mixed in with kettlebell thrusters and burpees. That's a cool CrossFit style workout. Guess who's not gonna excel at that workout? Someone who only swims, right? Who's gonna do really well at just a swimming event or a swimming and paddling event? The person who's best in the water, period. What you're looking for isn't necessarily the person best in the water. It's like doing just a single lane like running event or just a single like biking event. It just doesn't 
really make a lot of sense. And again, we've seen this like swim plus another monostructural thing so many times in the past. We've seen the swim plus the paddle exactly happen before. I mean, it's just getting, it's getting old. It's getting stale and it's getting boring. And when you have just 10 athletes to contend with, there's no excuse for old, boring, stale, repetitive garbage. The other thing that was really disappointing on Sunday was the ringer event because we saw an inclusion of a brand new movement at the CrossFit Games, the toes to ring. And that, by the way, is just as lame as it sounds because toes to ring are easier than toes to bar. And it's a little bit more of like a, you know, hip flexor core thing, but it's not as taxing as toes to bar is. And because of that, the entire workout, at least that first part, really just turned into who's effective on the assault bike, which is a cool test, don't get me wrong, but it's not the most challenging thing that you'd want to see athletes, you know, of that caliber competing in. And then the final event, the standard, is a very cool idea. It's something that's been around, as Caster said at, at the games, it's been around forever. I mean, people have been talking about the, you know, Grace 30 Muscle Ups for Time, Isabel combination of workouts about as long as I've been doing CrossFit, definitely before then, I would say. And I started doing CrossFit in 2008. So this is something that's been around forever. It also means because it's been around forever, maybe 99% of those athletes had already done it. And that is both interesting and also not that interesting because it's fun to watch. None of the events were boring to watch except for that swim paddle abomination. But just because it's a decent competition to watch, it's a decent race to watch who's going to finish, doesn't mean it's a great test and doesn't mean it's a really effective way of using these athletes' time. Because if you're talking about just having the top 10 athletes together in one room for one day, that's how you spend it? Toes to ring? swimming and paddling again, I think there's some improvements that can be made there. And I know I've been ranting about this for way too long, but there are definitely some improvements that can be made there. And that's one of the things that I hope coming into the 2020 CrossFit Games, we see improvements on. Those events should be way less mundane. Now, speaking about the cut schedule, the scoring, the eliminations as a whole, like all of this, the programming, it all kind of has two parts to its analysis. Part one is, is this effective at finding the podium? Like, are the best crossfitters going to end up on top? Part two is, was this effective as a sport, as a spectator sport? Is it exciting? Are there storylines that transition from event to event or day to day or even season to season? And arguably CrossFit, as a sport has done a pretty good job at keeping those storylines going. I mean, we've been talking about this for a long time and we've been watching the CrossFit games for a long time. So it's been doing okay at that. Now, the, the other part of that though is because of this change of format, was it still good at being that spectator sport? And I think arguably just the eliminations themselves made this the most exciting CrossFit Games there have ever been, especially over the first 
day and a half, two days, two and a half days, right? Those those first six cut events were so just emotionally draining to watch. You know, no one really complained when the first cut eliminated 75 athletes that you hadn't hadn't really heard of. I mean, everyone was kind of bummed that, you know, Tim Paulson or Street Horner didn't make it through, but it was like, okay, there was bound to be a handful of athletes that we recognized that didn't make it through. It's fine. No one really complained when it got to 50. It was like still mainly athletes that you weren't familiar with. By the time we got to like Friday afternoon and fan favorites were not making it through to the final events or to the next event, that was really this like huge outcry of what is going on. And we were not ready for this. None of us foresaw how difficult this was gonna be from a spectator standpoint of like watching our favorite sweethearts not make it through to the next event. This is to me an absolute win. If you, you know, everyone saw Avengers, you get what I'm saying. The fact is the excitement that comes from elimination workouts cannot be matched in any other format. And that is a huge positive to this entire change. I mentioned that I think there are some more changes that can happen to the cut schedule in order to improve it even further, but that's neither here nor there. Specifically from a spectator standpoint, this format has the potential of being the most exciting possible format for the CrossFit Games, and that's huge. That's that to me is huge. Now, you know the the flip side of that is can the spectators actually follow along with what's happening, and that I think is where myself as media and other media organizations, the broadcasters who are taking the world feed, uh, for example, other you know media personalities going out there to cover the games, they and we need to put it on ourselves to tell that story better. And what I mean by that is there were a lot of moving parts at the games this year. The first cut was very easy to follow. If you were in the bottom, you're gone. From that point on, it gets more and more confusing. As you're on the bubble, you know certain points in the each event is worth a different amount of points because there are fewer and fewer athletes in it. These things are difficult to follow along for us as professionals, and nearly impossible for someone to follow along if they're just watching a world feed that doesn't necessarily have all that information and all that context in it. So I think it's kind of a double-edged sword. Super exciting to watch, but the story has to be told. And I think the format nails the excitement. I think the storytelling is still something that needs to be tweaked, and that falls on our shoulders, my shoulders as media, and you know, Rogue's shoulders, Morning Chalkup's shoulders, you know, other uh, uh, broadcasters and formats that are sort of taking this thing and trying to serve the community by telling that story. It falls on all of our shoulders that responsibility to story tell and explain so that there is context to what is happening and why it's happening. So from a spectator's standpoint, I think you can look at it from an in-person spectator standpoint and uh, and sort of like remote spectator standpoint. Now, previously, those things have been sort of kind of like melded together because the in-person spectator standpoint was really controlled by CrossFit putting on the event and putting in all these different things for people to do and watch and see and experience. And they were also controlling the broadcast. So they were controlling the remote spectators experience as well. This year, those things got separated in what I would say is a pretty meaningful way because the in-person spectator experience in my opinion, was really positive. It was just about the same level as previous years. I think I heard 
a lot of people sort of bummed that they didn't get to see their favorite athletes compete, whether they got cut early in the weekend or they got cut, you know, on, on Saturday night or something or Saturday morning and they, they just didn't get a chance to watch them compete. And, you know, they were just bummed out of being sort of like robbed of that experience of getting to see, you know, Pat Vellner or Brent Fakowski or Annie Thor's daughter or Sarah Sigmund's daughter throwing down in the Coliseum a bunch. And I completely understand that. Again, I think that's one of the things that just gets tweaked over time and that just becomes more and more positive. But uh, the fact is like the in-person spectator experience was probably around the same as it has been in past years. There are still the floor announcers, they're still the exciting events to watch most of the time. And I believe in general, the spectator experience in person was about the same as it has been in years past, if not maybe even a little improved because there was other stuff to watch and do. And specifically, there was the one ton challenge, which took place, I think on Friday night, and it was put on by my buddy Anders Varner with uh, you know Barbell Shrugged. Uh, they combined teams with C.T. Fletcher, you know, it's, it's still your mindset, you know what I mean? That guy is awesome, he's very, very motivational, and they brought in some big athletes from USA Weightlifting and CrossFit to do what they call the one-ton challenge, which was invented by John Cena. There's a lot of moving parts here. I mean, it's like a super total with the six lifts. It's like snatch, a clean, a jerk, a squat, a bench, a deadlift, right? And you're trying to get to 2,000 pounds, to one ton. Now. That's super fun to watch, super fun to experience. I mean, they, they set it up like right in the middle of everything. A ton of people were there to watch it. It was, it was a cool time, right? On the other side of that coin is the remote spectators experience. Like the person who can't make it in person to Madison to watch the CrossFit Games and be there and experience it all. That person had what is probably a slightly negative turn in terms of their experience. and. That negative turn, it, it's not like a hugely meaningful change, except in one specific instance, which is that the age groups were not streamed. And that is a huge bummer for anyone who's a fan of the Masters or the teens, but it's also a huge bummer for the teens and the Masters competing. Now, I don't know why that wasn't streamed. Uh, maybe they just never got great viewership to begin with, and it was just a really small subsection of the you know, community that was interested in watching these things. I mean, we should probably be paying more attention to that considering Haley Adams competed there for three years in the teenage divisions and just took sixth at the CrossFit Games this year. So maybe there's something interesting going on there, but either way, I think they made a decision not to stream the age groups. And the end result of that decision, while it didn't really affect the mass of the people watching it was probably a negative downturn for the group of people that would have watched it because they just didn't get a chance to do it. And I talked to my buddy Nick Urankar who won the men's masters 35 to 39 and he was telling me about events where he would come out onto the competitive floor and there would literally be nobody there except for them and their judges. And that is a little strange. You know, age groups haven't always been really that popular in terms of like filling the stands, but the fact that there were events where there was nobody there to watch them is a little surprising to me. Now, for the rest of the viewing audience who is kind of paying attention to the open competition, the team competition, they got what I would say is an equivalent experience as previous years. Now, there were some 
differences. So previously with CrossFit controlling the entire broadcast, they were able to have much better communication between the people doing the color commentary and the announcing as uh, between them and the people uh, controlling the cameras, the cameraman on the floor. You know, there's a director in a booth. He can talk back and forth. If the commentators want to say, hey, listen, this athlete in this lane is really crushing it. We should focus on them. The director can relay that to the cameraman. The cameraman can go down change their view, get that race that's very specific to, you know, whether it's a points race or just a really impressive performance or whatever. This year, that wasn't there because CrossFit produced the world feed themselves and then provided the world feed for whoever wanted to do whatever they wanted to do with it. They could live stream it themselves, they could put their own commentary over it, and that's how we got multiple languages, which is a huge upgrade. But it also changed a little bit of the viewing experience because there wasn't really focus on any of those peripheral battles that would be in years past when a commentator could say, hey, let's focus on this person for a second because there's something interesting happening there. There wasn't that communication. I think sometimes that looked like a little bit of a fumble. You know, the commentators might be talking about someone specific. They might be talking about something interesting to sort of the cuts that might be coming after a certain event and those people are nowhere to be seen on the camera. Another sort of complaint that I heard people have about the world feed was that because there wasn't really this communication between the booth and the directors, the directors kind of just focused on the athletes that we all already know and love, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but can definitely, you know, stunt the experience of like, oh, I want to see my coach compete. They're the best at rope climbs. Well, crap. Tia Claire Toomey's in the same heat. We're just going to be watching Tia. That's an issue. That could be a problem. I think, again, this is one of those things that gets resolved and fixed over time. I have no idea what the future is for the world feed, whether CrossFit's going to continue broadcasting it and creating it on their own. My gut tells me they're they're going to keep doing it, but they're probably going to license it out. I don't think they're going to provide it for free forever. I, I mean, uh, I, I think at some point they're they're just going to start charging people to use it, and you know that money can be used to improve the end result. Now there there's examples of this down the line, like for example, in other sports like uh, golf or tennis, they they might be producing a, a world feed for events. That world feed is licensed out. The uh, the platform that, that licenses the world feed can add their own layer of production over it, whether that's like a, a different type of a camera that gets added into the field of play or whatever. You know, you can you can sort of change it. And with big players in the space like Rogue investing a ton of money, Morning Chalk Up investing a ton of money to sort of put on these live feeds you can kind of sort of see where this thing could potentially go just based off of how other sports do it. All right, so we have covered a lot about the 2019 CrossFit Games, and the, the thing is, like, this is an ever-changing sport. We saw that happen at the end of last year's games, the 2018 CrossFit Games, when, you know, CrossFit just sort of completely flipped the script and changed the entire season. I do not think that that is going to be happening again anytime soon. I think this format overall is a real winner. I think it's I think there's a lot of potential here 
for positives that did not exist in the previous format. And there's proof of that already taking place. There's huge investments into this entire infrastructure from you know a ton of different event organizers to create a sanctional season. The sanctionals themselves are starting to communicate and work together in a way to sort of promote the, the season as a whole outside of the CrossFit Games as an event, which is really cool to see. And I think going into the 2020 season, CrossFit asked a lot of us as spectators and fans this past year. They asked us to sort of keep the momentum going when there was a lot of confusion or you know negativity, lack of communication. These are all things, especially the lack of communication that CrossFit is known for, right? They, the lack of communication thing that, that CrossFit HQ, it's almost like a point of pride that they just don't communicate very well to everybody. But that may not change so much. That said, I don't think that we're gonna see the same sort of like completely flip the script for a while. This this format has a ton of potential. I think that it's moving in the right direction incredibly quickly. I mean, there are so many ways that the 2019 season could have just completely fallen apart. And instead, what we ended up getting was something that was like somewhere between 85 and 95% of the the like best CrossFit games ever in terms of execution and those like way more exciting than it has been in the past. And while there was a lot of little issues over the season, those issues aren't necessarily going to be resolved this season, but they're definitely going to be closer to being resolved. I mean, we have way more sanctionals to look at. We have a much longer season. The games are going to start up again in just like six or seven weeks at this point in early October. So there's so many things that are really in flux, except they're just now the details, right? Now it's like turning the knobs, finding the right switches to flip. It's no longer, let's reinvent this machine. And I think that's a huge positive for the season going forward, because now that we've seen that they can pull it off and it's not an absolute disaster, because I think honestly people expected they would show up to Madison and it'd be like one torn Reebok flag and like tumbleweeds going across and like Patrick Vellner like confusedly looking around he's like the games are this weekend right but that wasn't the case I was there I mean I showed up and there was about the same number of people to spectate maybe a little bit less maybe a little bit less over the course of the weekend as they you know maybe lost their favorite athletes to watch or whatever but generally speaking the 2019 game season was pulled off in a pretty good way so 2020 I'm even more hopeful and even more excited to see what 2020 holds from a fan perspective and from a spectator perspective, from a media creator perspective, because I get to tell some really cool stories. And like I say at the end of all of my videos, there is a whole lot going on in our sport. It's easy to miss some of the most interesting and exciting stories. That is what I am here for. And I really mean it when I say that. Now, earlier in this video, I mentioned there were two things. One was that New merch is available on armandhammer.tv. I restocked a whole bunch of stuff and got some new stuff, including women's sneaky fit tanks and a new color for the BRP pocket tee. So go check that out uh, if you want some new cool merch, if you want to support the channel. And the second thing I said was there's a new way that you can support the channel, a new way you can support Arm and Hammer TV, a new way you can support me, and that is through direct subscriptions. And what I mean by direct subscriptions is exactly that. It's you directly supporting me as a content creator. And I wanted to put that off until the end of this video for a couple reasons. One is 
it requires a little bit more explanation. I think that's a more uh, nuanced direction that the new, a more nuanced format uh, that I'm trying to sort of experiment with you guys. And the second is that I wanted to give you all the content that I already give you anyway, and if you don't wanna watch the rest of this, you don't have to watch the rest of this, but here's what I'm talking about. If you look at the model for creating a business as a content creator, generally speaking, you're looking at sponsors and advertising. Now, places like Patreon have created platforms where people can create subscriptions to themselves and put content behind a paywall or access behind a paywall. And that has sort of changed the landscape in a lot of ways. And one of the things that has been on my mind a lot over the past 15 months or so, ever since I started this channel and started really covering this thing in this way, is that I don't feel super comfortable just sort of having a rotating, you know, Rolodex of sponsors, right? And I don't mind that, but me as a consumer of content, I usually blow it off. If I see someone offering a discount code for a, a product, unless it's a product that I absolutely want to buy anyway, it generally doesn't resonate with me. So when I create content, I create content that I think I would like to see. And so what I'm thinking is I'd like to monetize my platform in a way that I would resonate with if someone was asking me, someone whose content I constantly consume and really enjoy and share. And to that end, I've created a platform of direct subscriptions. Now, it lives just on my site. You just go to armandhammer.tv slash support. It's right there. You can check it out. There's three options. It's 21, 15, or $9 a month. That's very cute of me. And it's just an opportunity for you to directly contribute, to directly support what I do as a sort of, hey, we're all adults here. You've got a job. I've got a job. We've all got bills to pay. I want to continue creating this content. I want to do newer and better and bigger things. And just relying on YouTube ad revenue is not going to be able to cut it down the line. It's, you know, selling t-shirts is fantastic merchandise. I love being able to do that, but not everyone wants to buy a t-shirt. Some people just want to directly support what I do. And here's your opportunity. Now this can obviously change. I'm working on trying to figure out like a custom version of it. I built this thing from scratch, not me. I, I had someone build this thing from scratch, so it will have more functionality down the line, but for now, these are the options. And really, it just comes down to the person who is paying me for this content should be the person to whom I'm most accountable to. And if the person paying me for this content is a sponsor, I'm more accountable to that sponsor. I'm more accountable to creating content that fits within their guidelines. And that makes me beholden to whatever their market is. Now on the other side, instead of being paid by an advertiser or a sponsor just to sort of create content around their paradigm, I would rather be paid by you guys, which is who I already make content for anyway. And I said this in the very first video I posted on this channel. It was really this desire to participate in the conversations that are happening all around the world in CrossFit gyms, all around the world between CrossFitters. I think that I can bring something to the table to participate in those conversations and to help move them forward in a meaningful way. And I think over the past 15 months or so, I've proven that I can do that. So what I'm basically trying to say here is, 
explaining my mindset for creating a subscription service, there isn't going to be a promise for like exclusive access to X, Y, or Z. Now there will probably be perks depending on how many people are signing up and you know how much income this generates for me. There's a lot more potential stuff that I can do with it and obviously I'd like to reward people who support me, but content is gonna continue coming out. I'm still gonna put stuff out on YouTube. I'm not gonna be putting things behind a paywall. Uh, I, I think it's really important to continue feeding this machine and seeing sort of how this thing keeps growing. And I really appreciate everybody who's made it through this video up until this point. I know there's a lot of stuff that I've talked about. This is probably the most personal and important thing I've talked about in a long time. And I've kind of talked about it in a few other things before, like podcasts and things like that, about my sort of strange relationship with monetization and selling. And I think this is a great situation, a great solution to those things. Merchandise for the people who want to support me that way and direct support for people who want to support me that way. And if you don't want to support me monetarily or financially, that's totally fine because you can watch the channel, you can like the show, you can subscribe to the channel, you can tell your friends about it. And if you just watch this because like deep down inside you hate me and you hate CrossFit, that's cool too. I mean, I, I hope you are enjoying all the minutes that you spend watching the channel. I think either way you're getting something out of it and that's what I'm here to provide. So I really appreciate all the support folks. As a reminder, armandhammer.tv, you can find all the merch. It's all available. I got restocked in just about everything so you can get in there order it and, you know there's no pre-sale there's no waiting for it to be stocked up it's just ready to go for you to get in there and get some and then secondarily if you want to direct support armandhammer.tv support thank you so much everybody i hope you guys enjoyed this video i'll see you guys next time